Well, welcome to week two of Believe. Uh, we're again, we're exploring ten beliefs, ten practices, and ten virtues that are at the heart of Christianity. And for those of you who call yourself Christians, it's a great chance to see if your beliefs actually hit the road, in, uh, or if you actually put it into gear through practice, and if you're actually becoming more like Jesus. For those of you who might be just exploring Christianity, trying to find out what it's all about, this is a great chance to see what's at the heart of Christianity and see if it is for you. Now, we've been encouraging you to do an assessment. Uh, you can go to our website, and it'll be the kind of the first thing that pops up. And we've already had over 100 people go through this, and it just kind of asks you questions about your belief, your practices, and who you think you're becoming. And uh, the results already from the people who have done this survey are quite fascinating. It's already starting to show us some trends here at Hillcrest. And uh, some strengths, sure, but also some real, honest struggles and doubts when it comes to their faith, which is good. If you're honest about where you're at, you can make progress. Again, if you're not honest, it's much more difficult to make progress forward. Okay, this Sunday's belief is the area where many people who have done the survey so far struggle the most, which means that for some of you, this might be the most important Sunday. See, last week we explored the idea about God, the one true God, revealed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that the existence of God and some of his attributes are clear and obvious to everyone but that it is people who willingly choose to ignore and forget God. If you missed last week's message, uh, please go back, check out our podcast, visit our YouTube page, our Facebook page, and take that in. It was fantastic, and I recommend it. Stay up to date now if you also are late in reading. I always want to encourage you, again, if you missed it, it doesn't mean that you have to go back and dig through all of it. Start where we're at, continue on with us, but hey, if you've got a Believe book, Crack it open, put it on your kitchen table or in your bathroom sink so you always remember to take a a read through that weekly so that you're engaging with what's going on. Put it in a place where you're not going to forget about it. Again, don't turn the bathroom faucet on with it in there, but just that's a place where you probably won't miss it. Okay, Um, this week we are asking this key question. Does God care about me? Throughout history, there have been people who have believed that there was a God, or many gods, but they didn't always assume that he was good, kind, and loving. The idea that God must be good is really only rooted in the God that's revealed in the Bible. And, of course, you see that in the cultures that have been influenced heavily by Christianity. However, many people struggle with the reality of an all-knowing, all-powerful, loving God When life can be so cruel. The Bible teaches that there is a reason for evil in our world. But the blame is clearly laid on the sin of humanity. It's not due to God's apathy or lack of intervention throughout history in the lives of people like you and me. The scripture is filled with accounts of God's tenderness his love towards not only humanity in general or as a whole, but to each individual. But also it shows, again, humanity's perpetual disregard of him. So 
So this is the key idea that we want you to take home. I believe that God is involved in and cares about my daily life. Can we pray as we just launch into this message? Come Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. We've already prayed these kinds of prayers, but we continue to pray this prayer of invitation. Lord, help me to speak with clarity. But Lord, help all of our hearts to hear from you. So Spirit, would you do your work? Would you exalt Jesus in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds? Amen. Okay, now some of you have had the chance to do the assessment and some of you uh, have not. Uh, We're going to try again to do a quick poll through Kahoot. You can pull out your mobile phone. It's totally fine. Um, And we're going to go to Kahoot.it and the code is there on the screen. Two, two, six, four, five, seven, two. Again, two, two, six, four, five, seven, two. If you go to kahoot.it and enter that code, you can join our poll. Okay? You'll get to choose a nickname, and then you'll be able to participate with us. While you're doing that, here are the four questions that we're going to ask you, just so that you're prepared. We're going to ask you where you sit in relationship to this question. I believe God has a purpose for my life. I believe pain and suffering can often bring me closer to God. And I believe God is actively involved in my life. And I believe God enables me to do things I could not or would not otherwise do. Okay, those are the questions we're going to go after. We got people signing in. That's great. Okay, we're going to launch it. Here we go. So, again, first question. You're going to um, choose these. So, again, this question, I believe God has a purpose for my life. Uh, Red, triangle, I don't believe this. Yellow, circle, I believe, but occasionally experience doubt. Uh, Blue diamond is, I'm not sure I believe this. And the green square, I believe this 100%. You've only got seconds to answer, so click your button. Be honest about where you're at, please. We'll find out where we sit. Okay, so in this crowd, zero have said that they don't believe this. Zero said that they're not sure if they believe this. Instead, we have some who occasionally experience doubt and more that believe this 100%. So that's great. Okay, on to our next Question. Here we go. I believe pain and suffering can often bring me closer to God. So again, I don't believe this. Red triangle. Uh, Blue diamond. I'm not sure I believe this. Yellow circle. I believe, but occasionally experience doubt. And the green square. I believe this 100%. Go ahead and lock in your answers. Don't you wish there was like a prize or money or something like that at the end of this? It feels like somebody should win. Tough to win a poll, though. Okay, here we go. Again, uh, we've got uh, some in the I believe but occasionally experience doubt. 36%. And then 64% of you said I believe this 100%. All right. Okay, next question. Let's find out where you're at. I believe God is actively involved in my life. 
All right, here's so again, red triangle, I don't believe this. Blue diamond, I'm not sure I believe this. Yellow circle, I believe but occasionally experience doubt. And the green square is, I believe this 100%. All right, lock in your answers. And we'll find out where you're at. Okay, so again, similar results. Um, I believe occasionally experienced doubt, 25%. And I believe this 100%, 75% of you guys said that. So that's great. Okay, and our final question. So again, I believe God enables me to do things that I could not do or would not do otherwise. Can okay, go ahead and lock in your answers. And we'll find out where you're all at. Okay, uh, no surprises in terms of kind of where you were at with these. It seemed like it was trending the same way with all of the questions. So that's good. Thank you for participating with us. And um, we're going to keep on going and see if we can touch on some of these uh, points and maybe address some of those doubts that maybe you had. Okay, so the God of the Bible is the one and only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the one all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal God. But is he good? Is he involved in creation? Does he love us? Does he have a plan for us? Is he interceding and intervening to move the events of our life and world toward his intended purpose? As we explore this today, uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 35, which addresses worry. See, worry is a great indicator to your belief in God as good and and him being involved in your life. Here are three ways I would define worry. So this didn't come from a a definition, a dictionary. This is my own. I made this up. I think it will be helpful, though. Okay, number one. Worry is when you, with limited knowledge, limited power, from a temporary perspective, sit down on God's throne, believing that you can judge wiser and more fairly than the all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal God. Here's another one for you. Worry is to love and worship something or someone else besides God. Believing that God's place is just to help you attain and retain what you truly love. One more. Worry is when you cyclically ask, what if, about your fears without ever answering the question according to his character and his promises. Okay, those are three definitions of worry, and we'll kind of come back to and explore those again. In these handful of verses that Laura read for us earlier, Jesus asks several rhetorical rhetorical questions 
A rhetorical question is when a speaker asks a question as a way of getting a point across. The answer to the question is often obvious, but asking the question causes the listener to do some thinking and understand the point in a greater way. However, sometimes, like children looking for a loophole in their parents' instruction, we sometimes miss the main point. Instead, we get stuck on another point altogether. Occasionally, I've been guilty of giving an instruction in kind of an exasperated way. You know, you know, I don't, you know, you stay in your bed, and they have a million, again, looking for loopholes, ways that they should be able to get out of bed. And I'm trying to make the point, no, it's just bedtime, you stay in your bed. And so I've said things like, I don't care if there is a dragon ringing our doorbell, you stay in your bed. But then, of course, they're stuck on the dragon and what that would be like, and not just getting the point, oh, dad really wants me to stay in bed. Okay? So be careful with rhetorical questions. They're all throughout this message. Um, and we'll try to get to the main point. So Matthew 6, again, this is verse 25. We're just going to go kind of verse by verse here. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? See, most often when I've reflected on this passage, I imagine people uh, who are worried because they didn't have food or clothes, or it was so scarce they were wearing out and they didn't know where their next meal or where they were going to get the clothes that they needed, where it was going to come from. People without means. See, that's where many people are in our world. And here Jesus is saying, isn't life more than food and clothes? How insensitive. Just like a spiritual leader to ignore reality while over-spiritualizing everything. But that's not what's going on here. Certainly some religious people overemphasize what is spiritual and they dismiss what is natural. On the other hand, some people only recognize what they call natural and they dismiss what is spiritual. But God is Lord over it all. He created all of the dimensions of our existence. For him, there's no difference between what is natural and what is supernatural. He writes the rules for the universe and he also writes the exceptions. For example, if you drop your keys out of your hand, you would expect them to fall, and most times they do. But when keys obey gravity, they're actually obeying God. One step closer is to say that there is no such thing as gravity, that actually there is only the power of God holding you on earth. We just call it gravity. You want to see an act of God drop something. If you take a car and drive it straight into a tree, naturally you're going to damage your car or the tree. It depends on how fast you're going and the size of the tree. However, a good friend of mine was involved in a vehicle accident driving down the highway lost control in winter conditions, and headed off into the ditch into the one large tree in Saskatchewan on the side of the road. There he was, heading straight for it. Then the car came to a stop in a snowbank, uninjured. He got out of the car and walked back between the two tri- tire tracks left in the snow 
to see that the tree was still standing in the middle of the tire tracks, unharmed. So again, something supernatural. But it's the power of God you will feel if you drive into a car this, a tree this afternoon. And it is also the power that caused my friend and his whole car somehow to phase through the tree and land safely in a snowbank. This friend of mine was not a believer, but let me tell you, he came running to me after this had happened to him. And he had a lot of questions because he knew I was a person of faith. See, the thing is we're supposed to give all glory to God, both for what seems natural to us and what seems supernatural to us. In the same way, what is spontaneous and what is planned, to God, they're the same. We experience the tension. We're from our perspective, but for him, there's no tension between past and future. He's the alpha and omega, beginning and the end. We often worry about the timing in our lives, and he has all of eternity past and future to come through for you exactly at the right time and in the right way. So this teaching, of course, is more nuanced. It's not just about what is spiritual. There's more to it. It's teaching for the rich and the poor. It's about real food and real clothes, but it's also about really sustains us and what more desperately we need to be clothed in. So practically, Jesus is making the point that food is here to serve us. It's for us to live abundant lives, but we could easily become slaves to our own real and genuine needs. We can easily get things out of order, as if food was our master and we were supposed to do its bidding. The reality is we can never be fully satisfied if we only seek physical or emotional satisfaction. We are complex creatures made in his design. We have needs that go far beyond what is physical, emotional, or even our psychological needs. Have you heard this phrase? You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Now, some attribute that to C.S. Lewis, but I'm not sure if it's actually his. It's one of the many quotes of C.S. Lewis that are not actually C.S. Lewis quotes. But I think it's helpful in shifting our thinking. See, Jesus invites us to think bigger about our design and what truly satisfies. Until we recognize we are designed for a relationship with God, we will never be satisfied. You can have an abundance of food and clothes, but if you don't have him, you will eventually be naked and alone, never having any satisfaction. He is the source what plant grows without him, what sun shines without him, the very breath in our lungs comes from him. Adam was just dust until God breathed his life into humanity. Without food, you can't survive. Or can you? John 4, verse 32 to 33, Jesus is saying to his disciples, they returned to him after he sent them to go get food for him because he was hungry. He had to sit down, he was so weak. But then he has this experience with this uh, woman at the well. He teaches them. She gets saved. A whole village seems to get saved. The disciples come running back with the food. And they're trying to feed him, give him this food. And he says this, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples kind of were asking each other, could someone have brought him food? See, even in a natural sense, Jesus was filled because of the spiritual work that he was doing. Something natural happened. 
Jesus' hunger went away, or better yet, his hunger was satisfied doing spiritual, supernatural work. But even greater than this, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. That through his death and resurrection, we could gain access to to eternal life. Even if we starve to death, if we have the bread of life, we will never die. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Most people come closest to birds when they are you know, at a zoo, in a cage, or when they're injured, sick, or dead. Because again, they're often gone to the air where we can't really travel. Um, see, we had this experience not too long ago with our kids. We have um, some glass uh, surrounding, uh, surrounding our deck, and on occasion a bird tries to go zipping through it. It never goes well for the bird. Uh, and we found this bird uh, who wasn't doing very well. And there the kids were gathered around it, very close to a bird. Now, my kids do have a unique experience. My father-in-law flies falcons, and so they've been around you know, birds of prey and all kinds of other environments where birds were doing very well and very healthy. This one wasn't. And again, you might consider the birds, like I have, and think, some birds don't make it. But this is not your meditation for today. That's another point, and I want you to get the main point. See, the point is not that some birds die, but that every single bird that is fed is fed by God himself. Is God good? Is he involved in his creation? Jesus says every single day he feeds every single bird. And are you not much more valuable than they? God daily feeds the birds of the air, and we are more valuable to him than they are. In Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4, it says this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the star which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. I say again, another rhetorical question. But careful that you don't answer it incorrectly. What is mankind that you are mindful of him? See, compared to the heavens, most would think, well, man is much less than that. And yet, and even it goes on in the psalm to say that, well, we're even a little bit lower than the angels. But again, that's not the point. We're not, the point is not we're less. Instead, we are to consider his mindfulness. Consider for a second the mind of God. All knowledge, all wisdom, everything that has ever been or ever will be, and his processing speed is not confined to any time. He knows it all at once, effortlessly, And he has set the full CPU capacity of his mind, his focus and attention on us. He is mindful of us. If we look at the stars, we are small. But if we look into his mind, we are infinitely more valuable and vast. He desires for us to be the eternal center point of his love. He paid the highest price for us on the cross. What is man? By comparison to anything else in all creation, there is nothing more valuable and precious than you and me. If if God's mind is full of you and I and the universe, 
just an afterthought. And if day after day he feeds the birds of the air, he is truly a personal God, intimately involved in his creation. Verse 27 says, Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? No. Next. Uh, No, sorry. No, you can't worry your way and add an hour. But the conclusion from this verse is there's no adjusting the length of our lives. It's just set and that's it. That's not what it teaches. The scripture, the scripture is full of wisdom and promises and blessings that are meant to extend our lives. Worry won't add to your life, but trusting the Lord, living by his word, activating his promises in your life could add decades to your life. And ultimately, Jesus came offering eternal life. Worrying can't add an hour, but trusting the Lord extends your life all throughout eternity. Verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? Jesus is not saying being clothed is not important. If you think only about physical needs, again, you might miss the point. Clothes are not only their function, but also it's about status. It's about culture and subculture, identity. And perhaps lying beneath all of these things is humanity avoiding the nakedness of our sin. See, a sin, sin causes a nakedness that no clothes can cover. See, Jesus asks, why do you worry about clothes? Because everyone is desperately trying to cover over their sinfulness. See, we use clothes to hide, to cover our shame. Our bodies are nothing to be ashamed of, but we are desperate to hide our sin. See, the original sin caused Adam and Eve for the first time to go looking for clothes. And Jesus wants to clothe us, but not only in the physical sense. Yes, in the physical sense. He knows we need clothes. But the Bible is filled with teaching about our spiritual lives it has nothing, or that has to do with being clothed in more than clothes. Romans 13, uh, verse 14. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. Colossians 3, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 5, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Again, all of those things that we seek in being clothed, all of the things about status and identity, are found here instead in humility, in walking in the path that Jesus has for us, loving one another, putting on compassion and kindness like his character. Uh, we occasionally sing a song called Cornerstone, which is a song that uses some uh, verses from an old hymn, The Solid Rock. This is one of the final verses. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. When he clothes us in righteousness, all of those things that we seek perhaps in clothing disappear. Verse 28 says, See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. See, our efforts to clothe ourselves apart from God will always fall short 
Verse 30 says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? See, again, don't dwell on grass being thrown into the fire. Dwell on how much he's going to clothe you in righteousness, how beautiful you are when you put on Christ. So don't worry about, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? The pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. See, there's an order to most things in our world. There's a starting place when you build a house. You can't lay out the shingles and then slide the sheathing in. And then the trusses and then from there the walls up. You can't you know, paint the walls and then assemble them and then put the electrical in. There's an order you have to follow. And it's the same way in the kingdom. There's an order, a priority sequence. When we seek first his kingdom, it brings order into our lives, abundance, wholeness, completion to our lives when it's set in place as it should be. So therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love how honest the Bible is. Again, it's not some spiritual place that, that doesn't admit the way that life is. Jesus promises all throughout here, hey, you don't have to worry. It's going to be okay. I'm with you. Don't worry. I'm right there. I'm going to take care of you. And tomorrow, trouble's coming. But he's, I'm with you. This is Psalm 23, very famous uh, of David. Um, and again, all through the chapter in Believe, there's a number of characters that are highlighted. And I encourage you, go to those places and see how he cares for his people. David was one of those people. He wrote these words, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, God has a purpose for your life. He wants to lead and guide you. He wants to restore your soul. Even when things look bleak, he is right there leading you through it. In the middle of darkness, evil, and enemies, he is cooking something up. Those who walk with the Lord will be able to sum up the entirety of their lives with these two words, goodness and love. We were asking these questions in the beginning. You know, where do you stand at this statement? I believe God has a purpose for my life. Or I believe pain and suffering can offer me closer or can bring me closer to God. I believe God is actively involved in my life, both naturally and supernaturally. I believe God enables me to do things I could not do. Or would not otherwise do. We've spent a little bit more time perhaps on question number three than some of the others. But again, these are some of the highlights from the chapter in Believe. Abraham, he made him into a great nation despite his failings. Sarah, God brings laughter to Sarah even after she so poorly treated Hagar and Ishmael and all of her issues with faith in God. 
Hagar, in a desperate situation with a small child, God intervenes in Hagar's life and she proclaims, you are the God who sees me. David came to know God as a shepherd. A shepherd lives among his sheep. It is his presence that leads and guides, soothes, protects, and corrects. Or Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. Would you join me in prayer? You can just stay seated for this part, but I just want you to spend a moment reflecting on what you've been hearing. Jesus says in this, these verses to consider. And there's two things that I want you to do to consider as you're going forward this week. Number one part of considering is remembering. Some of you have forgotten what he has done. Not just in the Bible, but what he's done in your life. Open the word. Start with this chapter and believe and notice how God has been involved in the lives of others. And go back over how he has been involved in your life in the past. Write it down if you have to. Tell your family and friends and celebrate what he has done. Beyond remembering, I think we need to take notice. Some of you don't notice what he is doing in the world around you. Again, there's a movie uh, years ago came out with Mel Gibson in it called Signs. And it's this person uh, who used to be a person of faith, but they've lost all faith because, again, they had the loss of a loved one. Uh, but then all of the events throughout the movie all come together in kind of this marvelous climax, and he sees that God is still somehow involved in his life. And in the end of the movie, he emerges as this person who takes up his faith again. Take notice of the details of your life, both the natural and the supernatural. Remember all glory to God. Praise him for everything. Again, my kids, if they get a little tiny scrape, you know, one of those scrapes where it's a big deal, you know, you just kind of reveal the need to see how bad it is, and there's hardly a mark. Again, moments later when the mark is gone, we celebrate that their bodies heal. But again, like gravity, it's not gravity. It is the Lord. It is his power. Everything that you have is a gift from him. So don't lose sight of how he has provided for you what you have. Remember, every bird that is fed is fed by him. That's the point. Okay, so consider, remember, take notice. The other thing is this. Some of you don't think that God is involved in helping you live a remarkable life filled with purpose day to day. You feel like you've got nothing. When was the last time you asked him to be involved in that way? See, in large part because of the house that I grew up in, this has become a rhythm for me. But my dad prayed every single day of his life to be filled with the Holy Spirit's power just to make it through the day. My dad knew on his own he wasn't going to make it. He wasn't going to conquer. He wasn't going to be the kind of husband, father, pastor, mentor that he wanted to be. He knew God was calling him to more, and so he prayed every single day, many times a day. I know because I heard those kinds of prayers. And in all the seasons of, the, of his life, whether it was leading here at Hillcrest, serving at Hel uh, Kettleston, or Joe's place, using his construction skills to help out a friend, managing a retirement home, or battling cancer. It was a pattern that was set for him. Start the day with that invitation. See, there's a growing hunger here at Hillcrest for more of the Holy Spirit. And those cravings in many ways might be too small. 
Let's invite the Holy Spirit to move among us throughout the week as much as on Sundays. And in the mundane, as much as the spectacular, if you invite the Spirit to move in your life, He surely will. Don't let a day go by without inviting Him in. Finally, this morning, um, I'm going to give you those three definitions again, and uh, I'll leave you just with a quick meditation. So here's worry. Worry is when you, with limited knowledge and limited power, with a temporary perspective, sit down on God's throne, believing you can judge wiser and more fairly than the all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal God. Worry is to magnify and worship your problems or fears instead of worshiping God, who is the only one worthy of all your praise. Worry is when you cyclically ask, what if about your fears without ever answering the question according to his character and promises. See, worry says, what if? But faith says, even if. The story in Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. When they respond to King Nebuchadnezzar, they say three things, and I think all three things are critical for us to hold together. He said, they say this, The God we serve is able to deliver us. Again, he's threatening them with throwing them into this fire. We believe that our God is able to deliver us. They also say, and he will deliver us. Somehow they prayed about it. They asked God and God said, hey, I've got something to do here. Then they also say this, but even if he does not, we want you to know we will not serve your God's And these three statements have to stay together. He is able to do it. We believe that he will do it. Pray, ask, do listening prayer, and he will reveal what his plans are to you. But also have the kind of faith that says, even if he does not. See, many of his promises are actually for beyond the grave. Never stop praying for his intervention, for him to move in your life and the lives of people around you. But remember that many of his promises are for beyond the grave. Now, you might have what-if questions that you need to deal with today or this week. What if I get COVID? What if I'm a single mother for the rest of my life? What if I don't get that job? What if I lose my job? What if I don't get into that school? What if one of my kids gets into a horrible accident? What if one of my kids doesn't embrace Christianity? What if I get cancer? What if the chemo stops working? What if I lose my spouse through divorce or death or mental illness? What if? Stop staying in the what if. Follow all the way through to the even if by remembering his character and his promises. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are close. That somehow, though you see all and know all, You're also kind of right beside us, just like a person would be, that we could experience your presence. Father, help us like Philippians 4, 6-7 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present our request to you. And then we welcome your peace, which transcends all understanding.